Well, in 1990, I was going into my junior year, and uh, Robert Van Winkle had just released his first huge mega hit pop hit, hip hop, and it was it was huge. It had stormed the country, and it was actually the first concert that I ever went to. Robert Van Winkle, you may know him better as Vanilla Ice. And it was the first concert that I ever went to my junior year. He was there with MC Hammer. Can't touch this. And there was some dancing going on. And I couldn't hear for about three hours afterwards because the bass was so loud. And so that song, if you remember it with me, Ice, Ice Baby, right? It was a mega hit. It was huge. Well, unfortunately, Vanilla Ice got sued because he had stolen that riff from another song that was a huge hit by another band by the name of Queen. And they were in collaboration with David Bowie, and that song was Under Pressure. And it was a huge hit. They played it at all their concerts. It was a great song, and it was a song that the opening lyrics went like this. Pressure, pushing down on me pressing down on you. And I believe that song resonated so much in the heart of people because of the pressure that they were really going through in their life. Like if we had to get real today, there's pressure in the room, there's pressure in people's life, and that song was famous. And sometimes pressure makes people feel like and wish the end of the world was coming. Like if I could just be through with all this pressure. And sometimes pressure is actually a sign of the end of the world, at least according to the book of Revelation that we're studying. We're going to be in it again today. We've been in it uh, for the last couple of weeks. We'll be in it for the next five weeks. So we're in a study uh, in a series called Letters from Jesus. And I just want to catch you up to speed really quickly. We've been reading this verse, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, each week as we get started. And the uh, verse says this, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And we've been looking at this word, we've been underlining this word revelation, and it's the Greek word apocalypsis. And sometimes we hear that kind of word, that apocalypse word, and we get a little nervous when we hear apocalypse. We don't know, you're talking about a zombie one or just, you know, which kind of apocalypse are you talking about? Well, it actually is a Greek word, and it means to uncover. It means to reveal. It means to disclose. And when when it refers to a person, it actually means that that person becomes more clearly visible. And so we're learning about Jesus. We're revealing more and more things from the book of Revelation. It's also a book that contains a powerful promise. It's a book with a blessing. And so as you've heard uh, me say this, uh, uh, verse 3 It says this, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So why is it important? Like why is it important to study these seven letters? Well, I believe that everybody wants to hear and wants to know more about Jesus. Even non-Christians, even maybe those who are not yet Christians. Maybe you're here and you're checking things out. You have interests. I believe everyone wants to know more about Jesus. And then everybody wants a blessing, right? Everybody wants a blessing, and studying this book brings one. So last week, we learned about a letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus had these characteristics, and, and it's not a great one, but they had this characteristic, and that was that it had lost its first love. 
The message to Ephesus was this, to catch you up. Basically, here's what people see when they look at you. Like they see this impactful church that's making an impact. But then it says, here's what Jesus sees when he looks at you. He actually sees a group of people who are not really in love with each other and not really in love with Jesus. He says, you've lost your first love, turn back to me. So that was his letter to the church at Ephesus. Let's dive into his second letter, the letter to the church at Smyrna. If you're here and you have your phone, you can check out the JCI app. You can check out the sermon notes, or maybe one of our friendly greeters on the way in gave you some app notes right there in your uh, program. But before we read Revelation chapter 2, we've been beginning like this. I would just hope we could take a quick moment to bow your heads, and let's just have a moment of prayer. As we look at your word, Father, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Father, we're inviting you to speak to our hearts, and just in a breath, Lord, I, I'm here. Your servant is here. Speak for your servants are listening. Draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Revelation chapter 2, 8 through 11, here is his letter to the church at Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write this, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So I want to give you some quick background on Smyrna. If you're like me, I love history. So I love to learn a little bit about where we're studying. Smyrna was considered the most beautiful city of Asia. It literally was kind of on this sloped down towards the sea where the city was. It was this beautiful scene, and there was an acropolis at the top, and it was called the Crown of Smyrna. And then if you check out the map, you'll actually see here was Ephesus, where we studied last week, and it's 35 miles south of Smyrna. Smyrna is on the Aegean Sea, but a, a revival broke out in Smyrna, and a church was begun there. And so it was a port city, and it had this sent uh, uh, it was because it was so close, and people can come from Italy. It was the center of Roman worship of Caesar. There was this great push and pressure uh, to worship Caesar, and people felt this tension that you you better worship Caesar or you're in trouble. And then again, because it was a, 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 a seaport, the chief export was myrrh. And myrrh was this aromatic perfume. It was a incense, and it could also be used as a medicine. And so in Revelation chapter 2, someone who had received gold, frankincense, and myrrh at their baby shower was now writing a letter to the church of Smyrna. And so this letter, like every other letter, is going to study three things. It's going to study three things. It's going to reveal things about Jesus that we need to know and things that we need to grab onto his truth. It's also going to uncover things in our own heart that we need to be aware of. And then also it's going to show us how to receive 
a blessing. So we'll look at those three things today. The first one is what is revealed about Jesus from this letter to Smyrna. In verse 8, again, it said, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and who came to life again. So writing to the pastor in Smyrna, Jesus literally describes himself in two very specific ways. And these are very important ways. He describes himself as the first and the last and he who died and came back to life again. And so what do these statements actually mean? What do these statements mean about Jesus? Well, they mean a very important thing. They mean that Jesus is the priority and Jesus is the point of our faith. Literally, Jesus is the priority. He is the most important thing. And then he's also the point. He is the purpose. He is the reason for our faith. You know, if we were to describe our faith journey as a line, as, as, a, as an actual line, Jesus is the beginning. Jesus is the first. He is to be the first in our life. And then he's also the end. We get heaven. He is the end of our faith as well. So he is the first and he is the last. And let me explain it a little bit further with actually a question or a statement. It's a statement that looks like this. It's a pop quiz. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, Pastor Christian gave a quiz and the answer every time was John. Well, there's a different answer this time, but here is the question. I follow Jesus for blank. I follow Jesus for blank. Well, the correct answer is Jesus. I follow Jesus for Jesus. If there's anything else that you would put in that blank, any other person, any other thing, it would be the wrong answer. And I'll have to admit, I, you know, if I was to be honest, I haven't always followed Jesus for Jesus. Sometimes I have followed Jesus for heaven. Like I want heaven. I'm following Jesus because when I die, I want to go to heaven. It's not wrong, but it's not the main point. Sometimes I've followed Jesus because I've wanted a better life. Like, man, things would be better. Things would be easier if I would follow Jesus. Again, not, not bad, but, but not right. And then sometimes, if I'm really honest, I have followed Jesus because I'm a pastor. Like, because that's what pastors are supposed to do. They're supposed to follow Jesus. Again, not wrong, but, but not right. You know, Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is the end. All those reasons are fine, but they're not the the main point of why we should be following him. He is the priority. He is the point of our faith. He's not a means to an end. Jesus is the end. You see, you you don't decide to follow Jesus because you want a good marriage. And then if you don't have a good marriage, you don't go, oh, oh, well, well, I won't follow Jesus anymore because I don't have a good marriage. And you don't follow Jesus because you want things to go a certain way. And then if things don't go a certain way, you don't say, well, I guess I won't follow Jesus anymore because it didn't go the way I wanted. I won't follow Jesus anymore. That's not the way it should go. We should be following Jesus for Jesus. We enter into a relationship with him for him. We enter into a relationship because of him. And we continue a relationship because of him. So Jesus is revealed as the priority and he is revealed as the point of our faith. He is the first And the last. And then, second, Jesus described himself as the one who died and who came back to life. Now, the church of Smyrna would have really kind of leaned in for this. They would have connected with this statement right off the bat because it not only described their Savior, it described their history as a city. 
You see, Smyrna was very proud of their history. In fact, they were uh, destroyed and captured uh, in 600 BC by the kingdom of Lydia. They were destroyed, but later they were rebuilt by Alexander the Great, by one of his four generals by the name of Lysicamus. So here was a, a city that had been destroyed and had been rebuilt. They had once died and they had come back to life. So in this letter to Smyrna, Jesus immediately makes this connection between an historical fact about Smyrna and a true spiritual reality that he is the one who died and came back to life. He is the one who had died and come back. What an important truth. He was the one who had been resurrected. So the writer of Hebrews said it like this. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, as we think about this, as we think about Jesus as the first and the last, he says, fixing our eyes. If you fix your eyes on something and don't leave them, he is the first. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the beginning, the author, and he's the perfecter. He is the finisher. He is last. He is the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He is the priority, and he is the point of our faith. So we see what's revealed about Jesus. Now we want to look at what is uncovered in our own hearts. And I hope today, I hope you entered into this room knowing what's in your heart or even saying, Jesus, reveal to me what's in my heart. And I, I, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with, with what is on my heart? And so Revelation 2, 9 and 10 says this, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. So Jesus tells the church at Smyrna that I know your heart. I know your heart, Smyrna. I know that you are under a lot of pressure. I know that you're afraid, and if if we were to go row by row today, I would imagine some of us, without, without really asking you, I would imagine some of us, if we were to go row by row, that would describe why some of you are here. You're under pressure. You've got fear in your life, and you need Jesus. Well, this word afflictions is the word that was used there in Revelation 2, and it's actually a word that means intense pressure. And this word is actually from an ancient torture technique called crushing. Let me describe to you what this crushing was. If you were to be tortured, they would lie you on your back. It actually was used for execution as well. They would lie you on your back. They would bind you. And then they would begin to put weights on your chest. And so if you've lifted any weights before, you're familiar with a 45-pound plate. So you're laying there, and they might put a plate on your chest. And you'd begin to de deeply try to catch your breath. And then they'd stick another 45-pound plate. And then they'd stick another 45-pound plate. And, and you would begin to suffer. And you would begin to try to catch your breath until eventually they would put so much pressure on you that you would begin to be crushed. And ultimately, you would not be able to breathe anymore. You might pass out first, but ultimately, you would die. You would have been a horrible way. This was afflictions. You know, 17 years ago, I had uh, shoulder surgery on my left arm. 
you know, there was all these years of softball throwing guys out at home, you know, just, just, you know, just throwing these guys out left and right. My son's here. Happy birthday, buddy. My son's down here. He's an outfielder. He knows what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, all these years of throwing guys out that I had to repair the bazooka. So I, uh, <laughs> don't, don't laugh, buddy. I had to repair the bazooka. So I went under the knife, you know, 17 years ago. And during that procedure, I actually came to. So I, I guess they didn't give me enough. So if anyone's having surgery soon, close your ears. But I started to pull the tube out of my mouth that was down my throat. And it caused a force of pressure into my lungs. And I got a minor case of pulmonary edema. I got some fluid on my lungs. And that, for 24 hours... I learned what it is like to suffer to try to breathe. I couldn't catch my breath. I was struggling to breathe. It did not feel good. They kept waking me up. This stupid alarm kept going up because my oxygen level wasn't high enough, and I just wanted to rip the thing out of the wall. I could not breathe. The pressure on my lungs made it tough to breathe. Afflictions, intense pressure is the word that Jesus used here. Christians in Smyrna were under pressure, and they're under pressure really in three ways. They had poverty. Now, actually, Smyrna was a place of wealth. It was a place of great jobs. So you might say, how was that the case? Why were they suffering with poverty? Well, guess what? When you refuse to worship the local idols that all of the tradesmen are making, that all of the unions are making, and you get kicked out of the labor union, you now no longer can work. Because if you read even Paul's writings, there was times where uh, there was problems because, hey, the silversmith wants to kill me because I told people not to worship what he's making. And so there was poverty. They were having trouble finding jobs. And then they were dealing with slander. People were talking against them. People were making things up about them. People were actually calling them cannibals. 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 Well, what do we do when we take the Lord's Supper? We eat the body and blood of Christ. Sounds like we're cannibals. Well, of course, we, we eat a representation. But they were, they were trying to say that these Christians were a bunch of crazies. They, they were slandering them like crazy. They were under affliction and persecution. And then they had this impending suffering, which sometimes can be the worst. You just don't even think it's going to get any better. Like you're just dealing with something so long, you just don't think it could get any better. And that's what they were dealing with, this intense pressure of, is it, any, is it ever going to get any better, Lord? Well, I want you to pause for a moment, and I want you to take a look at that list, and I want you to circle the ones that maybe you're afflicted with right now. And then I want you to maybe peek at your neighbor. Well, no, wait, we wouldn't do that. It's a pop quiz. But I want you to take a, a, a moment and realize, as you look at your neighbors, if they've circled one, you might realize that you're not alone. Like you're not alone. You're not the only one dealing with what you're dealing with. We're actually going to discuss this in small groups this week. We're going to have people look at those three and maybe talk about if they've struggled with any of these. And I can tell you, uh, almost 20 years ago when I got into a men's group, you know what the greatest encouragement was? I realized I wasn't alone. I realized I wasn't the only one dealing with what I was dealing with. I was a newer Christian. I was dealing with some persecution. And I, it was good to know the other guys in my group were dealing with some of the same things. I got a chance to be a part of the Activate podcast. We're going to talk a little bit more about this as well. If you want to check out the Activate podcast this week. Well, the suffering that was experienced by these early Christians, it wasn't anything new. right? These, these Christians in Smyrna, it wasn't new. Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it. 
In fact, one of the first verses I ever memorized was from the Sermon on the Mount where we were last week. It was Matthew 5, 11. It's right in the middle of these verses. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus predicted and he even said that you would be blessed for being persecuted. That's why I memorized those. As a newer believer, I was living with some buddies and I all of a sudden became the Jesus freak. And it wasn't easy. It hurt. Right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. That's a lie. It hurt. So persecution. I learned from Jesus that you could be blessed. And then Peter and Paul uh, made teaching on persecution, literally part of like their Christianity 101 classes. Like, okay, lesson 101, you're going to be persecuted. Like class one, week 101, if you follow Jesus, there's going to be persecution. Uh, in his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul listed all these ways that he had been persecuted. And then he said, I could even boast about it, about how, how Jesus got me through it. And then Peter taught that we should not be surprised when we face suffering and persecution, but to rejoice or to be joyful when it happens. So here's those words, blessed, boastful, joyful. Do any of those words come to mind when you're dealing with suffering? No, I don't think those words are in, 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 my, in my vernacular either. Those are not things, but that, that is what we, that's what we're taught. And so in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus provided some encouragement for the Christians in Smyrna. Here it is in verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Well, 10 days is, is not a literal 10 days. It's a span of time. It actually was some figurative language that referred to a short time span. So Jesus was encouraging these faithful Christians. Look, hang in there. Hang in there. Your suffering is only for a short time. You're going to be okay. So I have a question for you today. What suffering or intense pressure are you experiencing today? What suffering or intense pressure are you experiencing today? I tell you, I get frustrated sometimes when they're not fast enough with my fast food order. Like, hey, where's my fries? Like, I get frustrated or I get frustrated at the car in front of me that's not driving fast enough. Like, come on, man, I got to get somewhere. Like, I get frustrated when Redbox doesn't have the movie that I want. But that's not the kind of suffering we're talking about. And that is not the kind of suffering that Jesus is talking about either. That's not suffering, right? Those are, those are first world inconveniences. That's not suffering. So let me ask you this more specifically. What suffering or what intense pressure are you experiencing today because you're following Jesus? And maybe a follow-up question might be even more impactful. What if you're not experiencing any? Like what if you don't have any persecution or suffering at all should you be more concerned that you don't have any like does anyone around you at your work even know that you're a follower of jesus in fact do you even go hey i just heard some people talking bad about christians over there i'm so glad they don't know i'm one or i would have been involved they would have been making fun of me like should we be more concerned if perhaps that is the case you see the early christians experienced intense 
persecution. And they, they did so because they followed Jesus. They did so because they were actually living their faith and they worshiped the one true God. You know, early when I became a Christian, I, I was recommended to read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you've read it, but it, it encourages and challenges you and inspires you. There's another book I read by D, DC Talk, which was an early Christian uh, group that's now split up. And there you would know their names. I'm horrible at music, so I can't think of it at the moment. One's in Newsboys and one's somewhere else. Where does it help? Someone help me. Uh, so famous guys that wrote this book about, it's called Jesus Freak. And it's about suffering. It was same thing, at the same point. Here are these followers of Jesus who were persecuted, who literally were killed because they were followers of Jesus. So it's hard to, to comprehend that sort of thing in our American culture today, right? Because we follow Jesus today, we, we might at worst experience a little ridicule. At worst, we might you know, lose a friend. We might lose a job. Again, none of these things are great. They're, they're difficult. They're, they're not easy to go through those things, but none of them compare at all to torture, and none of them compare at all to ultimately being killed for your faith. You know, by God's grace, we live in a country where people have hard fought to establish our country that there could be religious freedom, right? A lot of people have lost their lives so that we could have that kind of freedom, and those freedoms are slipping. Persecution is happening. Worldwide, 215 million Christians are persecuted and martyred. You know, I was looking at an article recently that just talked about, it was quoting some stats from China on Christianity, and it said that in the last year, from 2016 to 2017, the number of Christians who were persecuted quadrupled. So it isn't just something of the past, it's happening today. The number had quadrupled. So Jesus, in writing this letter, not only to the church in Smyrna, he's writing it to us to bring us encouragement and to inspire us. He wants us to know that suffering that we may be going through, difficulty we may be going through, will be short-lived because of Jesus. So let's review. Jesus is revealed as the priority. He's revealed as the point of our faith. And secondly, we uncover the reality that there are pressures, that our heart may be under tremendous pressure and even be fearful because of some suffering and persecution that we're going through. So third, what is the blessing? What is the blessing we receive? Well, Revelation 2 says this, verses 10 and 11, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. You know, it's notable, Jesus had no correct, uh, correction for the church at Smyrna. He had no cor uh, correction. Five out of the seven churches that will study these letters that Jesus wrote, Jesus has something against them, and he says, hey, stop that. Like, hey, here's what you're doing. Don't do that anymore. He's giving them correction, but not in Smyrna. He only offers encouragement, and he only offers this promise of a reward. And you know, perhaps there's something purifying, I believe, that takes place when we're under great pressure, when we're under suffering. And that's that pressure purifies our faith. Pressure purifies our faith. I think if we were honest right now, if you were to get honest with yourself, uh, are you closer to Jesus while you're under pressure? 
Like, are you closer to Jesus while you're going through difficulty, while you're going through per- persecution? And when you, experience that pers- uh, when you experience that closeness, when you're like so close to Jesus, you're like, wow, I've never felt this great, this close to Jesus. Would you then decide to trade it? Like, of course not. You would want to stay right in the midst of your closest walking with Jesus. I believe your faith becomes stronger because of suffering, because of persecution. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says this, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The greater the pressure the more their faith became genuine. And I believe that is so true. The greater the pressure, the more their faith became genuine. You see, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus promised that our reward for a persecuted life is a life eternal with him. And once again, Jesus provides this vivid word picture. He provides this vivid word picture for these persecuted Christians. And I, I know this. Maybe you're like me. I love it when a book has a lot of pictures. Like a lot of pictures. Like I don't want to read a lot, but I want a lot of pictures. And so the Bible, if you have one, maybe you have a good study Bible, and a lot of times it'll have a picture that helps paint the picture of what you're actually reading. Like here's what they were looking at, or here's what Jesus saw when he was standing on the Mount of Olives. Well, he says this. He says, I will give you the crown of life. He's saying, I will give you eternal life. And immediately those Christians in Smyrna, Their minds would have taken a turn and they would have turned and looked up at the Acropolis because that uh, uh, top of the Acropolis was called the crown of Smyrna. And they immediately would have recognized what Jesus was talking about. He told them, don't give up. I know it's tough. I know things have been difficult. Hang in there until the end. You're going to receive life as the crown. You're going to receive life as your victor's crown. You get Jesus. Jesus is your reward. You get to have him now, and you get to have him for all of eternity. John said in 14.6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You see, the hope for every Christian whose suffering is both resurrection and eternity. And how do we get eternity? Well, Jesus is the one who endured the cross He's the one who suffered. He's the one who endured the cross. And and I think that there should be a challenge to you and I. That if he can endure the cross, then you and I can endure some momentary suffering. We can endure some momentary persecution in this life so that one day we can experience eternal life with him. You know, as we close, Smyrna's chief export, as you heard me say a little while before, was an aromatic spice. It was used in medicine. It was called myrrh. In fact, that's how the city of Smyrna got its name, because Smyrna means myrrh. In fact, myrrh is referenced three times in the New Testament, each time in connection with Jesus. At the birth of Jesus, wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. At the crucifixion of Jesus, the soldiers offered wine mixed with myrrh. And then at the burial of Jesus, they brought embalming, they brought myrrh to embalm the body. And I don't want you to miss this. This is a picture of a myrrh tree. And in order for the people in Smyrna to harvest the myrrh, guess what you had to do? 
You had to wound. You had to lacerate. You had to beat. You had to soften. You had to bruise repeatedly the tree in order for it to bleed the gum. The very gum that would produce a medicine that could bring healing to the afflicted, that could bring encouragement and care to the hurting. You had to repeatedly bruise it in order for it to bleed. You had to cut and bleed the tree. And Jesus, for you and I, was cut. He bled. He was wounded. He was beat. Isaiah puts it this way. Isaiah said, by these wounds you are healed. So Jesus was not only the reward for enduring persecution, he's our comfort in the midst of the pain and the persecution. And in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. You see, Jesus, he's the priority. He's the first. He's the author. He's the beginner. He's the first. He is the point of our faith. But he's also the last. We get heaven. He's the finisher. He's who we one day hope and look forward to spending all of eternity. But here's the interesting. He's the first and the last, but here's where he brings you comfort today. He's in the middle as well. He's right there to walk you through whatever you're suffering, whatever pressure you walked into this room today. I can remember years ago when I was in the business world and the stresses of life and raising kids and making money. And I can remember saying, walking into church, just like you all saying, I need you today. I need you in the midst of my life today, Jesus. I have you there. I know you're the first. I have you at the end. I know I'm going to heaven, but I need you today. And maybe that's you this morning. And so if we could, I just want to have a prayer for you today who perhaps are going through some challenge and difficulty. Can we pray as we close?